you're on the mic. Thank you. So last time, I don't can't remember who was here last time, but I spoke about what is God, and I was just trying to establish just really basic characteristics um, of a monotheistic God before we jumped into tonight, kind of the God's personality or the defining characteristics of the Christian God. Um, so it's akin to us establishing what a human is in general before we get into our personality traits and kind of what makes us unique amongst each other. Uh, so last time we discovered uh, a lot of things. Uh, if you if you don't remember, you can go back and, and listen because we got it recorded. But uh, last time we established how God is self-existent, uh, independent, timeless, spaceless, immaterial, supremely intelligent, unimaginably powerful, and personal. So tonight, instead of looking at what is God, we'll be looking at who is God or what is God like. So first, God is knowable. So we can never fully know God, but we can know him personally. And it is far better to know God than to just know about God. Uh, some of God's attribute, attributes are easier to understand because he shares them with us. Others may be more difficult to understand because he chooses not to share them with us. Because we are finite creatures, we will never fully understand everything there is to understand uh, about any one of God's attributes being the infinite being that he is. But that should not stop us because we were made to glorify God and in knowing him more intimately, we'll be able to imitate him more accurately. Second, God is perfect. Your heavenly father is perfect. It's what we've read in Matthew 5, 48 many times. God fully possesses all of the excellent qualities and lacks no part of any quality that would be desirable to him. We are also commanded by Jesus in Matthew 5, 48 to be perfect ourselves. And while we won't ever obtain perfection through the work of Christ on our behalf, we can continually make progress toward that perfection through this life. Third, God is unchangeable. It says in Malachi 3, 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Now this is not in every way, it's only in the ways scripture teaches us. So God is unchangeable in his being, his attributes, his purposes, and his promises. Now this is in direct contrast to us, in which our attributes, purposes, promises, change all the time. So if we remember the story of Jonah, it's funny that I was the one that actually talked about this before, when he was prophesying to Nineveh, and he said, in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. But God did not end up punishing the people like he said he would because the people ended up repenting. So many people look, might look at this and say, well, did God change because he didn't destroy them like he said he was going to? And so these kind of instances, and there's many others that we end up reading in Scripture, when we read about these, they need to be understood as true expressions of God's present attitude or intention related to the specific situation. Okay, so as the situation changes, then it, God's attitude or expression will end up changing as well. And so I think the author ends up saying, saying it probably better than I could try to reword this. It says, God's unchangeableness 
does not mean he will not act nor feel differently in response to different situations. For he would hardly be good or just if he did not respond differently to sin than to repentance and righteousness. Nor does unchangeableness mean God doesn't act or feel emotions. In fact, one of the ways God demonstrates, in fact, one of the ways God demonstrates that he is God and not man is by not executing his burning anger and destroying a people. Instead, as his heart recoils within him and his compassion grows warm and tender, God withholds judgment and says, I will not come in wrath. So this is just really to say that when, when we say God is unchangeable, that does not mean he's just strictly a robot that cannot end up making decisions, you know, but he will be forced in certain situations because of his character and his attributes for example, to punish sin when it is time. However, in this example, when the people repented, he was therefore, being the good judge that he is, was able to forgive the people and not punish their sin. So fourth, God is truthful. The Lord is the true God. All his knowledge and all his words are both true and the final standard of truth. The essence of true faith is taking God at his word and relying on and relying on him to do as he's promised. We can imitate God's truthfulness in part by striving to have true knowledge of him and his word. We can also imitate it and bring glory to him by being truthful in what we say and what we do. So God wills what he wills, his fifth characteristic. God continually works all things according to the counsel of his will. God's will is the ultimate reason for everything that happens. All the events in our life are subject to God's will. That is why James encourages us not to say we will do this or that, but instead say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And sometimes God's will is clear, but sometimes it is not. And I feel we could probably agree that many times we try to search for that and it's, it's not clear and we try to maybe create his will if you may but i think a lot of times we end up or we should end up refraining from that and and like james says that we just need to live and do uh, if it is the lord's will so we must exhibit much caution is your blank there especially in the midst of difficult situations in saying with any degree of certainty what the lord's will is if it isn't clear from scripture. And God is not to be blamed for or thought responsible for sinful or evil things. Okay, that is never going to be within his will. So I would just like to ask you guys, have you guys figured out any kind of way or anything that's been helpful to try to distinguish between God's will and what we believe kind of our will is with our life? It's a really tough question. Like, how, how can you know? So, because I feel like it's thrown around so much today, uh, especially in the church, that it was like, oh, that happened, you know, that happened for a reason, that was God's will. And it was like, was it really God's will, or was it kind of more so our, de our decision?
sometimes I think that if it's well, I don't really want to say that either. I was going to say sometimes I think that if it's good or if it like is shows good for other people that it's more likely to be from God than to be from us. But at the same time, just because it's good doesn't mean it's from God. Because mm. everything's not good for everybody. You know? <coughs> this is a great question. It's tricky. It always bothers me when people say that and it's almost like a affectation or like a, I don't know, it's like kind of church talk sometimes. Yeah. Like, you know, same thing with like my calling or I was called or, you know, so that that's, it's tricky and I hate to be cynical, but I, I do struggle with that sometimes, you know, I think it's, uh, it's sort of better to say, you know, when you're praying, you know, if it's, if it's, you know, within your will, then do this. And I, I think it's one of those things where there's going to be a mystery as to why things have happened a certain way. I think the best thing you can do is is with most things is spend time in scripture reading and in that way kind of growing closer to God and you start to sense God more and maybe you have a stronger sense of what he would want or what his desires would be and then to pray and I think it should be enough to be able to pray and say if it's your will that you know allow this to happen and if it happens then great yeah. but there's a certain element of this world that seems to be like clockwork in a sense. I think there's certain ways in which God steps in and sort of changes the same way that he changed, you know, from Nineveh. Mm -hmm. One of the things I always... I'm oh, sorry. I didn't oh, you're good? No, I was done. One of the things I always remember or maybe remind people, like when, when you have like a big life decision, I think it's really easy to get hung up on what's God's will for us and not that we shouldn't be hung up on that because we should but the truth is no matter what you end up doing in any circumstance God can use you and and you know who's to know that he's going to use you more with one decision or the other I think as long as you're walking with the Lord day by day you make the decisions that you have to make that take your life one way or the other and then you just know whatever way it takes you like I'm going to be living my life so that God can use me mm -hmm. um, I was going to say something similar like when it because the question I was just trying to like figure out like which way to go about it and I think like a lot of what people talk about that with is with like decisions and like when you're faced with certain decisions like it's either, um, like, one way is either going to glorify God, and, like, sometimes it's one or the other. And so whatever is lining up with, like, what, like, what Scripture says, then you should go with that. But there are other times, I feel like most times, it's not really that black and white. And, like Anna was saying, I was going to say, like, I think that he will give you permission to go either way, and he'll bless either option. Mm -hmm. But as... Like, just like you said, as long as you're glorifying him and, like, your mission is to further his kingdom, I think that his will can be altered. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the way that I'm starting to lean more and more when I think about it. It's just, I think a lot of times we do look at 
look at it more black and white that it's like okay if i if we make the decision to go to talladega you know it's like either this is god's will or it's not god's will and i i think that he i think what's so great about him is just he he meets us where we are and that's not to say that okay he's just going to try to finagle every you know stupid decision that we make but we're not going to make every perfect decision but i think if the heart behind it is that whatever avenue you are going if the the forefront if at the forefront is glorifying him then i think that it is going to end up falling within his will because ultimately that is our true purpose and so i think whatever decision if it, if it's not I would say that if, if you don't have that at the forefront, then you're probably not going to be lined up with God's will, and that's going to be more so aligned with your own. Well, good. Um, so let's move on. So six, God has freedom. So God is not constrained by anything outside of himself. He's completely free to do whatever he wants to do. However, he is unable to do what is logically not possible. And I talked about this a little bit last time, but for example, God, you, to say that God sinned or that he was partial in his judgment would be equivalent to or saying the same thing as God created a square circle, okay? So he, he cannot do what is logically not possible. So he does have freedom. He can do all things, but he is not able to do that. Um, and although we can imitate God in his freedom when we exercise our will and make choices, all those choices... All those choices are ultimately subject to God's will. So this is kind of getting back to the previous thing we were talking about. It's just we can't just make up our minds for everything that we want and just say, okay, God, you're going to line up in this because you've given us this freedom. We can just make whatever choice we want. So number seven, God is blessed. And really what, what that means is he fully delights in himself and in all that reflects his character. So he himself is the focus of all happiness and delight. His complete fullness of joy is found in himself. And so God chooses, is your blank, to delight in his creation. As we find delight and happiness in what is pleasing to God, be it the work of others, aspects of our own lives, or things of creation, we demonstrate the ways God has blessed us and therefore honor him and imitate him in his blessedness. So it's, I think it's just really remarkable just to continue to uh, meditate on that when we think about God is blessed and that he is just, he does not need us at all, yet just chooses to be in relationship with us. Like I, I think it almost is like how we get so comfortable saying just staying, staying at home and watching Netflix or something, you know, and it's nice and warm, but like us actually choosing to go out and, and just be, not just even be friendly, but have true relationships with people. Like God has the ultimate couch, the ultimate TV, yet still chooses to come out and meet with us and desires to meet with us, which is amazing. Number eight, God is beautiful. In Psalm 27, 4, David tells us his single greatest desire is to dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. The beauty of God is the summation of all these desirable qualities that we've talked about and we'll continue to talk about. And so all of our longings and all of our desires will only ultimately find their fulfillment in God, the only one who is truly beautiful. Number nine, God is good. Jesus said, no one is good but God alone. 
All he is and does is good and worthy of approval. There is no higher standard of goodness than God's own character. So James 1.17 tells us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And so this relates to what we were just talking about before, about God willing um, what he wills. So he is not going to will, say, necessarily sin, or he's not going to end up willing um, improper judgment. Okay, this is just basically the opposite of that. God is good. But God is also jealous, number 10. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He desires that worship be given only to himself and not to anyone or anything else. And so I would say this was probably a point of contention with a decent amount of atheists. As soon as they just see the word jealous, they think, well, what kind of good God could be jealous? And I think just a good example is just thinking about in a marriage where you have a covenant, where if the wife or the husband, whoever, is unfaithful, and if the other spouse then becomes jealous, and it's not jealous in the sense of, oh, well, this person just, they, they just, you know, I'm not good enough. It's not the sense of kind of a, a pride issue. It's more so knowing what is best for the spouse, knowing that you are ending up, you're, you are giving them the best life. And so it's kind of the similar thing with God. It's not from necessarily a sense of, when I say selfish pride, of course God is supposed to be given everything, but he knows what is best for us and that in relationship with him is going to be what is best for us so that he wants to be a jealous God in order to give us the best way to end up living life without having to kind of stray around with and mess around and be unfaithful. So his jealousy is actually good. So he says in Isaiah 48, 11, my glory, I will not give to another. So your blank here is his jealousy is ultimately for our benefit. Number 11, God is holy. So the seraphim around his, around his throne continually cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. So God is set apart. He is separated from sin and devoted to seeking his own honor. God's holiness provides the pattern his children are to imitate. And so we anticipate the day when all things in heaven and on earth will be separated from evil, purified from sin, and devoted solely to seeking God's honor with true moral purity. Number 12, God is love. God's love was active before the foundation of the world. It was evident in the love that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all had for each other. God eternally gives of himself for the good of others. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiate, propitiation sorry, for our sins. So in return, we are, we are to extend that love to others even when they don't deserve it, all right? Just as Christ first loved us. And what, what's really great about this characteristic, God is love, before, when I talked about just what is God, I just talked about the basic characteristics of a monotheist God. And this one is actually what ends up separating the God of the Bible versus the God of the, the Quran, in which God truly isn't love in the book of 
in in the book of the Quran, in which, if you think about it, well, how how is God love before the creation of the world? The only way that he could be is if he was actually in relationship. Okay, love has to be freely given to another, and so when we look at the monotheistic God of um, Islam, then that is actually a God who is lacking because he could only end up loving upon creation. There was no relationship before creation in which then God could not be all loving. And But we talked about before in his attributes and characteristics, God cannot change. And so therefore that cannot be God. Does that make sense? Wonderful. Correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it is it is hard to difficult or kind of hard to wrap your mind around. But if you truly believe that God is love or that God is all loving, then his love would not end up being characteristics that would change. And if his if his love if he was not always loving, then he would not actually be God because that would be one of the main attributes then ended up changing or is dependent upon something other than himself. So second to last one here, God is righteous and just. God always acts in accordance with what is right for he is the final standard of rightness. Because God is righteous and just, he must, as your blank, treat people as they deserve. He must punish that which is against him, also known as sin. So how can God forgive sin? God is able to forgive people because Christ died to take God's punishment for sin upon himself. Proverbs 21, 21 verse 3 says, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And I think that we've, I think that David actually said this before, but I think that this is what we end up running into when we start talking about, well, how is God good? How is God all loving? How is God righteous and just? And how, what is this tension that we really have of the gospel where it's, we're running into all these things of, well, how can a good God send people to hell? And just all these really difficult questions. And how do we end up meeting together back with God? And so David Platt actually puts it really well. I'm just going to read this. He says, The question our culture asks is, God, how can you punish sinners? God, how can you let people go to hell? We point the finger at his character, question how he could do that. The Bible does just the opposite. It's because the Bible has a God-centered worldview, and we have a man-centered worldview. The Bible is not asking... How can God punish sinners? The Bible is asking, how in the world can God let rebels into heaven? How can God maintain his glory and let those who have belittled his glory into heaven? This is the tension with which the gospel confronts us. How can God show all of his attributes, his holiness and his mercy, his wrath and his love, his justice and his grace? How can he show all of these things? And the answer is, the just and gracious God of the universe 
looked upon hopelessly sinful people and sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against sin on the cross and to show his power over sin in the resurrection. Jesus is the only way this tension is revealed. There is no other religious system, no other religious philosophy that can bring this tension together. That can relieve this tension. Only Jesus Christ can do this. How can he do that? Last, God is unity. So God is unified in all of his attributes. He is not one more attribute than another. He is fully, completely every attribute. And one attribute is not more important than the other. So each of God's attributes represent one aspect of his character. They each provide us with a perspective on who he is, and they also provide us with some perspective on, on who he has made us to be, which is going to end up being, I believe the next, next talk is going to be, who are we? And ultimately, if we are image bearers of God, we should end up taking on some of these characteristics as well.